Hey everybody, welcome to Note of 27. Uh, it is August 12th, uh, it's probably about noon uh, in Pacific time, and uh, we're doing Note Up. Uh, I'm your host, Michael Rogers, we've also got D. Shaw, Daniel Shaw on the line, we've got Hello. Rick Waldron. Hello. We've got Chris Williams, Voodoo Tiki God. Hi. Uh, we've got uh, Tempvar, Elijah Insua. Hey. And uh, we got Mixmaster Craig on the levels and recording. And uh, today's show is sponsored by Geekless Clock and No Jitsu. And today's show is a special robots episode. Uh, or no, 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 sorry. Uh, Geekless isn't, isn't sponsored this time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were the last few weeks, but, um, they, and they may be again, but they're just not this week. Uh, anyway. Uh, no, no, no. They love us. They, they love, love us. robots. They just didn't get to find out about robots. They love robots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so first off, let's talk about one of our sponsors, Clock. Uh, Clock creates websites that focus on user experience and good software engineering. Uh, at the moment, they're rolling out a huge Node.js implementation for their clients. Uh, they build amazing APIs and really love big technical integration. Uh, they're all English, so they probably haven't been working for like a month. They've probably just been you know, sitting in traffic and watching the Olympics. Um, <laughs> and uh, they've been building websites in 1997. Uh, which is like forever in internet years. Uh, 18 months ago, they did their first Node.js project, um, and since they've been switching over more and more, all of their stuff is becoming Node, Node, Node. Um, even their front-end developers are using stuff like Jade and Stylus and with their T and Crumpets. Uh, they also have kangaroos, apparently. They have like Australia um, jealousy. And... <laughs> Uh, they delivered some of the some of Europe's largest customer implementations in Node. Uh, they do websites for the BBC, Eddie Izzard, the History Channel, News International. Um, Clock is always on the lookout for great developers who want to code open source and, and also work on great client projects and be sort of on the forefront of uh, what's going on in JavaScript. So uh, if you want to work for them uh, or you you know you want to have an amazing website built, uh, you can get a hold of them uh, at Clock on Twitter, uh, hello at clock.co.uk on email, or just visit clock.co.uk. Uh, and they're based just outside of London, England. All right, let's start with the first thing here. Uh, I think all of the, the robot and hardware stuff started with a little library that Chris wrote uh, a couple years back called Node Serial. Uh, so Chris, why don't you tell us about uh, why you wrote that and, and what it's doing and why we need serial stuff. Yeah, so uh, it's actually Node Serial Port um, went in the same line of like uh, Ruby Serial Port and I guess it is Pi Serial, but I just wanted to get the port in there. Um, so if you've never used a serial port and You've always used serial ports. Everyone has a USB. They've plugged a USB device in. But if you've never written through a serial port, one of the big differentiators between a serial port and a parallel port, if you harken back to the olden days, is that a serial port can only transfer a bit one uh, in or out at any given time. So you can't do any parallel processing of anything. Um, it's a single synchronous stream of data going one way or the other. Um, and the reason why this is important is it's not going to be something that you can just, like a TCP connection, which is multiplex, that you can send data down the wire whenever you feel like it, um, and the lower level componentry and, and send transmission handles it. Um, at a serial port level, you have to handle the, the queuing and the sending and the transmitting and the receiving and the delivery back up the stack. Um, and so for most languages, somebody builds that for them. Uh, I just fell into place of being that person for Node at this point. 
um, and uh, in the beginning, and then we've also added in uh, some. Uh, let me go get his name real quick. Uh, hold on a second. I know this is a dead pause. Oh, uh, Joe Ferner. We added in Joe Ferner into the project. Um, by we, I mean I. Uh, Joe added in the great complementary code set that provided us with Windows support, which was vitally important, especially when Node moved to a full cross-platform capability outside of Linux and Mac. My expertise is basically in the Linux and Mac world, um, whereas he has quite a bit of robust knowledge set that works for the Windows world. So the balance of the two allows us to provide serial port access for all Node developers, Windows, Mac, and Linux, which is a really important thing. Um, so that the reason why we had to build this, and it's not just a native thing that's in core, is when you work with serial ports, because it's not like a standard file descriptor, it has special sock options that have to be set. The speed, the data bits, the parity, the stop bits, the flow controls, whether they're hardware or software flow controls. Basically everything that a normal file descriptor, whether it be like a TCP port, which is multiplexed, or a standard file writer reader, which is also multiplexed at this point in time. Um, those things aren't available in the standard core library. So we had to build those, we had to build that componentry outside of the node core library to give us what I like to call super file descriptors. Um, and libuv easily could provide that. And we are in discussions about maybe moving some of that down in or, or opening up libuv so that way node serial port is, is even smaller and it's just a, a small wrapper around what libuv provides. But that's somewhere in the future. But for now, you can use Node Serial Port, um, which is kind of a cool thing. And I think for the rest of the show, we're going to talk about things that can do uh, with, with Node Serial Port. And one of the things that I wrote is a thing called NodeBots, Rise of the JS Robotics. And it's kind of this neat thing where you get to see the rise of different things that people can do outside of a USB port. Um, you know, outside of their standard computer and in reality. I know we at least have one person on the line who's proposed to somebody via a robot that they wrote with JavaScript, which is really a cool thing. Uh, <laughs> that was me. Yeah. That was, uh, and it's cool because I don't do any of that stuff. While, I, while I'm happy to see it happening, I don't get to write robotics and do all the cool stuff that, that everyone's doing. Um, which is kind of an interesting thing. Most people come up and they talk to me like, oh my god, it's so cool that I get to write Arduino code. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. The worst part about running the project was for the first three months, I didn't have an Arduino kit. And everyone's like, it's not working on Arduino. It's not doing this on Arduino. And I'm like, <laughs> I have an Arduino kit. I'm not doing it for that reason. Which is, if I may, Michael, is it okay if I, uh, if I talk about why I did it? Yeah, I think that'd be fantastic. Okay. So, um, so part of the reason why I did this is I see computing where everyone's like, oh, we're going to a multi-core system and desktops are getting bigger and blah, blah, blah. Um, that is true for a subset of computing. There's a larger rise of what I'd call micro devices or ubiquitous computing um, that you're going to see a, a grandiose proliferation of. And if you look at the history of computing with the big data surge and stuff of that nature and RFIDs and near-field computing, tablets and phones, we all go to a smaller, smaller, smaller form factor. But what if, um, and there's a theory behind, or a, a name that you'll probably hear a lot of that isn't a great name, but it's a name nonetheless, it's called the Internet of Things, where what if everything in the entire world had Wi-Fi connectivity, and what if everything in the entire world had intelligence? 
Um, take a random park bench. What if a park bench knew if it was being, uh, had somebody sitting on it? And what if a park bench knew if a bird had pooped on it? Uh, it could report out to some maintenance person and have them go clean the poop off the bench so somebody could sit down on it and therefore you can use full optimal usage of that park bench instead of having somebody be like, ew, there's bird poop, I don't want to sit there. Um, this is the world I sort of live in where I'm trying to internet all of the things where using uh, smaller chipsets like an ARM chipset, we can put code sets all around the the world or in my case the seniors living space and I can know exactly what's going on in that space by going and figuring by letting the device tell me what's going on um, if a coffee machine operates it would tell me the coffee is being poured or if an iron got left on for a long period of time it would tell me and I could turn it off um, it's an interesting world to live in and I would hope that more people get into it because it's really really cool uh, I saw one of the questions on the internets was about getting Node to work with an ARM chipset. I want to let you know that it does fully work with the ARM chipset. Not natively, you do have to go in and tweak some things. And unfortunately, the way that ARM, the ARM instruction set is made, I need to know if you're in ARM v5 tel, ARM v5, or ARM v3. Um, ARM has progressively enhanced, and that does do modifications to the V8 chipset. Or sorry the V8 construction set. So if you have questions about that, please find me. I'm on Google+, not Twitter for various reasons. Um, that is not a part of this show, so we don't have to discuss those reasons. You like to have super long conversations that go back and forth for pages and pages, all Steve Yeagy style. Is that why you're not on Twitter? Actually, I would prefer if you just called me up on the telephone. For all the stuff I do... Oh, I'm shit, that's oh, so we'll put your phone number out. Kids don't even use If that anybody needs Chris's testing. number, just hit me up on Twitter. I'll give it to you. iPhone <laughs> is... Let's see if I can find Rick Waldron's number really quick. Um, <laughs> I prefer to have human conversations. It's on, buddy. It's on. I work every day with computers, and I work every day with a lot of computers doing a lot of different things. So I like human conversations. So I'm happy to help anyone get node working on the ARM chipset, ideally rolling that up into a build script that the new binary releases that just got released recently um, are also available for the different ARM chipsets. Uh, and I need to figure out how to get that working. But yes, it does work beautifully on ARM. It even works on a beautiful, uh, how do I say this, uh, Cortex M3 processor, uh, which is what I'm actually using. It's an awesome, awesome little chipset. If you've never seen a Core, Cortex M3, it's a 90 nano MGs. It's beautiful. Uh, it's got sleep modes. It's got operational state retention. It's fantastic. Um, and these are what I'm talking about. Um, the, the Cortex M, M3 would be a perfect example of these micro chipsets that will internet all of the things in a very short period of time. And for all the lollygaggling we do about Facebooks and Twitter clones and all these other things that don't really help people. Um, I do have a firm belief that microchipsets and the stuff that people are doing with Node Serial Port and also Pi Serial and Ruby Serial Port, um, they have an actual chance of improving the basic lives of people, which is something that I feel very excited about. So what, what's the, what's the like, overhead difference of getting Node onto this chipset as opposed to Ruby or Python? That's actually something that I highlight in NodeBots is that um, Ruby and Python, they, they, they work. 
they're great, and they were reference implementations for the Node Serial port. Um, Ruby carries with it a fair amount of weight that's just inherent with the MRI. Um, and yes, you could use JRuby, but then you're carrying the weight of Ruby and Java. Um, or yes, you could use any of the other possible implementations, Rubinius. Um, same with Python. But they come with a base weight that is some, almost always larger than the available memory. You're dealing with a highly memory-constrained environment. Um, one might argue that I should have wrote, uh, I should have done Lua serial port. Um, Lua can get down to a far smaller size or IO serial port. And I looked at those, but one of the benefits that I saw from building this was that I can hire somebody who might know a jQuery event model and be able to get them to program in a very similar sort of way for saying, if light on, turn off light, or somebody came in room, do this. And that sort of chaining mentality and evented mentality just works at a core level um, for what I'm personally trying to accomplish. It may not work for all solutions, but it definitely seems to have a natural mapping. Um, the callback scenario, everyone always references callback hell, and I don't understand it, in part because I love the way callbacks work, and maybe it's just that I've used them too many times, that I, it's like a Stockholm Syndrome, where I've just become a lover of it because I've been chained to it, but it, it works in the real world. Things happen in an evented manner in a real-world scenario. Uh, and Node provides that at a default level, and JavaScript provides the, you know, the tacit knowledge for that at a default level, which makes it... Um, I'm not going to say mapping, I'm not going to say the best mapping, but it makes it a nice mapping. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that my, my experience with Python uh, doing some stuff like this and even some hardware is that the Python VM is not really designed to do nothing. Like, if you need it to sit there and be good and not do anything until something else happens over I.O., um, it really doesn't like to do that. Um, it's just not designed that way. And uh, I don't know about Ruby. Um, it may be better at that. But I know that you know, Node is amazing at that. You know, Node uses no resources while it's just sitting there waiting for something to happen over I.O. And Lua does an even better job. But. That's a... Uh... I would say that's less Node. That's more libuv. Um, well, actually, it's more it's more JavaScript in general. The JavaScript VM can sit there and do nothing, right? Like when your page is open and no JavaScript's actually running, it's very good at not using resources. Um, and yeah, yeah, UV is just what comes back and says, "Hey, you need to call this uh, this handler." Right, and in a constrained environment like smaller devices, that's critical. Um, the the stuff we build out it it can run off of two AA batteries for almost two years. And that's critical because of the domain that we're placed in. We're in, um, and we'll talk about this later, but I, I run a company that we monitor senior citizens. And so they're not going to be able to replace batteries on a high frequency. And they're not, we don't want them to be plugged into the wall because trust me, I've seen their wall plugs and you don't want to be anywhere near them when eight other devices are plugged into uh, uh, things that shouldn't be. Um, so... Being able to run entirely off of battery power and not have it rechargeable every day. I mean, we as developers live in a happy, happy world where power is almost always prevalent and, and you expect power. It's almost like a God-given right that you will have power whenever you desire it. And we get mad that our phones die after a day. But in the real world, that can't. that's unacceptable. In the real existence of a device or a sensor, it has to work without maintenance for years and that's the that's the target is for years of operation without any sort of influence or, or um, update and that 
is a function of the Wi-Fi capability, and it's also a function of how much you utilize the processor. Um, anytime you spin up the processor, you're basically chunking off a bit of that power supply. So in a useful case of Node, it does add an advantage to be able to shut down the processor entirely until something happens. That's really cool. Um, so when can we buy electric imps? Because they sound really rad. It's not in production yet. Um, they, they did an unveiling, which is mainly to get developers access to it. Um, you can go to electricimp.com. I would contend with you that it will be a vital important thing in the uh, creation and establishment of the Internet of Things. Um, there are a wide variety of wireless spectrums, um, Z-Wave, Zigbee, X10, Insteon, that are out there, some of which I use currently, and they all suck. They all suck horribly because they're all proprietary and they're all, um, let's say, second-class citizens in the Wi-Fi spectrum world. Uh, the ideal Wi-Fi spectrum is 802.11, or as we generally know it, Wi-Fi. The 802.11, you can easily bolster. There are defined ways of doing repeaters, and you can use stuff that you can buy at Best Buy to make it enhanced and better. Electric Imp is this bridging gap between what I will call the, uh, and no offense to Rick and Elijah, um, the hobbyist domain of you know, building robots with an Arduino kit and then making those widely available to the external world. Um, it allows you pinouts that you can do all sorts of different things from motion sensing to temperature sensing, humidity sensing, uh, triggering servos, doing all sorts of things that you can do with an Arduino currently, but you're able to do this from a Wi-Fi based system that's the size of an SD card. Uh, it has a full compute system on it that delivers up to the cloud or does localized processing depending upon how you have it set up. It's awesome. Um, they are targeting somewhere at the end of the year, um, roughly, for getting them um, and you know, sending these out. And what it'll be when they ship it out is just a SD card that includes a Wi-Fi radio um, and the full a full computer system with network firmware built in and configuration and software that's on there, as well as an internet service to essentially do like an if this then that for for sensors. So that way you could say, like, if detected motion in room, do this, uh, SMS me or email me. So people can build their own home security systems just by buying these low-cost, and I think on the site they project it to be, like, $25. Um, so when I say low-cost, I mean very much affordable for uh, anyone. Um, $25, when you really think about what's in there, is almost nothing. Uh, but it's it's a really cool thing. They're looking at end of the year to be able to come out, um, so it should be something really neat. How much so, of these um, these hardware things are like bunk when you get them? Like, do mm -hmm. you, I, I remember like doing the hardware exercises uh, in university. You know, you'd have this stuff that would just be crap, and you'd have to throw it away. Do you have to deal with that with these low cost things? Yes, all the time. We have we have what we call our uh, graveyard over here. Uh -huh. <laughs> Stuff that we will eventually unsolder and strip out for the raw parts because it's not even worthwhile booting up. Um, yeah. There are there are high quality vendors in this hardware world, and then there are their manufacturers 
um, who give you the same quality. And you always want to look for that originating manufacturer or the ODM. Okay. And the ODMs will be about a quarter of the price. So that's why we look for these because if you can do a quarter of the price, then you undercut everyone else, which makes it easier for you to do uh, services built on top of them because you can lower the cost, which is a great thing. The problem is, is that while there's one true ODM, there's a billion other copycats and you can never know which is the true ODM because the or the vendor who sells the high price one is not going to be like, oh, here's where to go get it for a quarter of the price. So um, Alibaba, which is a uh, reseller of these sorts of things out of China, mm-hmm. we we have a frequent buyer card from them at this point. Um, but you can buy so much uh, cheap stuff that you it's like a Russian roulette game of whether or not it'll show up and it'll be piss poor quality or it'll actually be the real deal. So I think if we tallied up, we're about the same as if we just bought the real deal stuff. <laughs> There's that value, that, that love. So there's one thing that I wanted to ask. Um, I know that, so Node by default, when it starts up, it'll grab a bunch of memory or at least virtual memory um, that it'll use in buffers. And, and in general, V8 does uh, use a bit of memory by default. Um, for, for your stuff that you're embedding, is there any work that you have to do to just like tell V8 and Node to use less resources when idle? Um. Uh, I mean, I live in a memory-constrained world, but it's nothing more than what I would... There, At this point, memory is so cheap that I'm not exceeding the available memory in the system that I have. Okay. So, I've reached that threshold where I'm trying to optimize it beyond the dash S0 standard production optimizations. Cool. All right. I think uh, I think now that that was awesome. I think now we're going to move on to uh, talk to Eli about the temp pad and some of his other work. So Eli, for, first, let's start at the beginning. Like, why did you decide to go build a CNC, and how did you end up doing that? And what is a CNC for people that don't know? <laughs> sure. Um, so in the beginning, um, I don't know. I got into programming because I like building things, um, and hardware is just kind of an extension to that, and you know, it's physical, so it makes it a lot more fun. Um, I'm into fabbing things. And so one of the things that I noticed um, originally is that, you know, manually cutting things and, you know, making square holes in wood or, you know, cutting out random shapes is kind of difficult by hand. And so I built this CNC machine thing that basically allows me to, from the computer, control um, this woodworking router that makes cuts in three dimensions in you know the real world so i can cut wood uh it's kind of like a 3d printer but instead of adding stuff it's actually subtracting things and i built this thing like it's some people refer to it as a backyard cnc uh, because i didn't i didn't buy it i didn't go spend you know three thousand dollars on a cnc machine instead i decided to build it out of wood um rollerblade bearings and um aluminum and like threaded rod and such so, I mean, it's, it works for now. Um, it's a bit bulky. Um, so I'm building another one. Um, and this one's actually <laughs> using, like, real uh, CNC stuff that I'm buying off of eBay. And, I don't know, it's coming along slowly. But I'm taking my time on this one because the other one I just kind of rushed into and just threw it all together. Um, so, basically, the new and the old machine, will, the software will work the same. Um, I'm running Gerbil on an Arduino Uno. And that communicates to um, over USB to Node serial port, and then I can I have a REPL running um, this thing called Node Gerbil, 
and I can actually, you know, control where where I'm going to make cuts um, from the REPL, or I can paste in this thing called G code, which allows, uh, which is the format that the machine understands, uh, like how when to turn on the router, when to turn it off, um, where to go, X, Y, Z, stuff like that. I don't know. It's been pretty fun so far. So, so the the actual so this big machine that moves around in three dimensions, like up, down, left, right, to mill stuff out. You program that with Node. It's just like a little USB thing, and then Node sends it like these instructions. What kind of instructions are they? Uh, okay, so I don't know if I was clear. Uh, the Arduino is running this thing called Gerbil, which is a G code interpreter, um, and I send G code commands to the Arduino from Node, um, and these. These G code commands are like, uh, you know, go to XYZ and, you know, turn on the router. So I can actually cut from uh, 000 to, you know, 555 or whatever. Like, and I can also generate um, this G code in JavaScript. So I can turn like SVG into G code and then send it across and it will actually cut out the shape that you drew in SVG. Does that make sense? A little clearer? Yeah, that'll make sense. And then so, uh, did you, and you wrote something special to like generate this G-code, right? Because oh, G-code, yeah, yeah. G-code instructions, like, don't, don't they look like, you know, move you know, this far left and then move this far right and then move down and stuff like that. So it's, it's like really hard to create a shape out of that, right? Right, yeah, it's, it's very manual. Um, so a G-code command goes something like G1 space um, X4 space Y4 space Z4, and then there's a feed rate, so you can tell it how fast you want it to go. Um, so I, I initially I was writing this all manually, but there's no variables, and I mean not in gerbil. So basically, you can't you can't abstract anything. So it's all copy paste. So what I did is um, I stole an SVG to G code converter from Lasersore, which is an open source um, laser cutter, and took the G code and actually converted it to um, WebGL so you can actually see the thing making cuts in real time, which is pretty fun. So then, then you can actually, um, without destroying wood, you know, test out the G code because it's, it's kind of a, it's complicated to get right. Yeah, it's a really cool little app. Like I saw it at, at NodeConf. It's like it actually shows in WebGL like the, the whole CNC moving around and everything is pretty sweet. Yeah, that okay, so, mind. Yeah, yeah. So so what were some of the first things that you milled out? Um and, and like why what was the first thing that you were kind of trying to build with the CNC? So it's it's all been about the tempad, um, which is basically a grid of pressure sensitive buttons. And I, the first the first round was cutting out um faceplates, square with square holes in them, so that you know I could push buttons through. And I was doing that out of wood, and it was it was going all right. And then the next thing that I did was um, I milled wax, machinable wax, for molds for silicone. So I'm using this the stuff called Dragon Skin 30 um, from Smooth On, and it's it's like a really nice um, it's a nice system. Uh, you mix it; it's got a ratio of one to one. You mix it, um, you use a vacuum pump and a desiccant chamber. Uh, to get all the bubbles out, and then you just pour it into the mold. And I mean, it's it's very simple. And uh, 
the mold itself was actually milled on the machine, which um, which makes it a lot easier than trying to hand carve wax into like perfectly shaped square buttons. That's so awesome. <laughs> okay, um, and so eventually, did you step up to to milling out the other parts of the uh, of the temp pad on the CNC? And which which yeah. which things could you not mill out, and could you not do yourself? Uh, okay, um, so I also went down the road of um, milling my own circuit boards or creating my own circuit boards, and my first attempt was actually milling them, but the machine jumps around too much. I mean, like I said, it's made out of rollerblade bearings and, you know, wood. So it jumps and I would snap bits. And so that, that wasn't, it wasn't working. So I tried to etch them with, um, culprit chloride or something. And that, that sort of worked, but I had some problems there. So eventually I just decided no more, no more of this. Um, let's just send it away to the professionals and work on the other parts while we're waiting for the boards to come back. So, with the latest version of the Tempad, or the, um, I'm actually using aluminum for the f- for the faceplates as opposed to wood. Uh, it just looks much better, and I honestly wouldn't recommend um, cutting aluminum with a woodworking router, but it's it sort of works. Um, I've since sent away for these as well, but in the interim, I was able to cut faceplates um, relatively successfully. Um, well, and also, I imagine this helps you design them too, right? Because you want to you want to mill out one and then test it and see if you can make adjustments um, to to like all of your drawings and everything, and then you can send those off to be mass produced, right? Right, and and that brings up another point. Um, so when I when I create the circuit boards, um, I'm using this thing called Eagle, and basically, I can I can derive the entire thing from the circuit board because I'm putting everything in specific places, right? Like the LEDs should should shoot through. Um, the buttons at a certain point and like it's a certain width so that it fits inside of the box that I'm trying to create. So I can derive the um, the molds and the faceplates and all that stuff from uh, the circuit board, which makes it a, makes it really handy. That's really cool. And so uh, this the, the the end result, the temp pad. Like, what can you do with that? Um, like, what's uh, like how do you program it and all that kind of stuff? Oh, sure. Um, so, there's two sides to it. Actually, there's a bunch of sides. Uh, there's the hardware, right, which runs um, firmware. Um, it's it's using an Atmel chip, kind of like the Arduino. And you flash it with this th- this firmware that's based on Lufa. And basically, it um, it's similar to an Arduino where it communicates over serial. And whenever you press a button, they are pressure sensitive. So, it sends, you know, the button index, comma... Uh, the value that it got from the analog conversion. And from there, I can read that with Node. And on, on the computer side, I actually have this REPL um, called TPAD, which allows you to like bind to pressure events or press events, which I have kind of hard-coded in there at a certain uh, threshold. It will trigger a press or a depress event. And you can shift um, on HSV and change the color based on you know how hard you're pressing the button or make it animate and... Do all, all kinds of crazy stuff. That's really cool. Uh, I've been playing with it a little bit. You give me one at NodeConf, and uh, I've been creating like a little Simon Says game with it. And uh, Max came over, and in about 15 minutes, he actually wrote code where he takes the pressure-sensitive readings, and based on how much you're pressing it, it sets the light to like you know this this spectrum of different colors. It's really cool. 
So where, uh, when, when will we be able to buy one? Oh, you want to buy one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm doing a bigger beta run. I'm going to do about 24 before I did three. Um, and I'm part of the beta program. So I sent out two. And I've been getting um, good feedback. I mean, there's a couple issues, but mostly good feedback. So I should, I should have 24 built here soon. And then, I don't know. I don't know how I'm, how I'm going to get, give these away, but we will see soon. Cool. I suggest uh, Stripe for payment processing. <laughs> just, just take credit cards, man. <laughs> Um, that's, that's really cool. I, I'm really excited to play with them. And, um, like I'm doing a bunch of speaking uh, a bit later in the year and, and I'll be showing off some code that I write for that. So. Oh, very nice. Really cool. Yeah. So, uh, I think we're going to take a break now and, uh, talk about our sponsors, Nojitsu. Nojitsu. Um, if you do know stuff, I'm sure that you've heard about Nojitsu. They're, they're sort of the, the dominant player right now in the node hosting space. Um, they, they do a lot of awesome, awesome auto-scaling stuff for you. So you just get to use this simple path for Node. You just sort of, sort of type Jitsu deploy. You push up your code. And, you know, when your site goes viral, like this recent website um, that shows uh, a live stream of, uh, of Instagram photos in your area, they just handle scaling that out for you, putting on multiple processes, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, and they also run it on Joyent. Now, Joyent has like this awesome smart OS setup, but if you've ever used smart OS or you've ever used Solaris, it's a whole different world from Linux, and it's actually kind of difficult to deal with. I tried to use it for like a day and kind of gave up. Uh, but you know, their whole path is on Node. You don't really have to deal with the operating system part. You just get to use it. The great thing about smart OS is that they have all these amazing detrace probes and tools and profiling, and you get this amazing amount of visibility into all of your, all of your stack. Um, so there's all kinds of really cool stuff. Uh, they're also infrastructure agnostic, so although they are on Joint, they're also on Rackspace and other places. So you know, when there's an outage uh, in one place, you can, your app can still stay up. Um, and uh, yeah, they build clouds, they walk on rainbows, and they hire unicorns. Uh, <laughs> and uh, one thing that's not in the notes that I really want to bring up is that they have uh, an amazing support staff. Like you go on Pound No Jitsu on Freenode any time of the day, no matter who you are. You'll get support there. In fact, if you just want to like, if, if you're just not getting good help in Pound Node.js about Node stuff, they will help you out in Pound Node.jitsu. They're awesome. Um, and and a lot of it too is you know sometimes it's not even people they employ. Sometimes it's just people that really love Node.jitsu. And some of those people that are up you know at 3 a.m. answering you know tickets, they end up hiring because it's just like, well, you're doing this job. Like we might as well start paying you and have you be more reliable. Um, so yeah, awesome company. We're really glad to have them uh, be sponsored of the show. Uh, check out nojitsu.com. All right, uh, moving along. Rick, we haven't gotten to hear from you to hear hey. from yet. Uh, you built a fucking robot. <laughs> I, did, I did build a fucking robot, and I've actually built uh, a few others since that uh, smaller scale stuff, but um, I'm trying to move on from wheeled uh, bots to uh, various number of leg bots. Flying uh, uh, bots? Yeah, there's. I have a. I have a a, a bug program that's a four-legged thing, Whoa. which is which was pretty fun. Um, and but right now I'm actually in the process. I I failed miserably last weekend building a biped, so I just tore it apart and scrapped all the parts, and I'm starting fresh from that, from from where I was with that. But uh, yes, I want to build a two-legged free walking 
robot that is uh, controlled by JavaScript program. Is, is the problem with, with building a biped that you have to do the, the balancing stuff? Uh, so actually, I was uh, a little bit of an exaggeration where I said I failed miserably. It was walking, but it was walking in place. So it kind of just looked like it was dancing. It, the, the steps it was taking were perfectly fine. The problem was is my actual hardware design was crap. Uh, and there was no way for it to actually propel those steps forward. So it would just continuously make steps perfectly standing all on its own on my desk. But just it kept walking in place. And then eventually it would just fall over from, you know, basically from the vibration of the servos and too much walking in place. Right. But, uh, yeah. So, back to the drawing board as far as designing the biped. That's really cool. So, so your initial robot, I saw a bit of it at NodeConf, but, like, yeah. the, the, the robot that, um, it's, not, it's not a biped, um, nope. but it does move around and it has a bunch of sensors. Like, what, what did, which sensors do you have and what kind of work did you have to do to get them running? All right. Well, let me give you a little bit of background before I get to the sensors and, and how it's controlled. Um, just because, so Chris introduced us all to his serial port library. Uh, he also mentioned that there was a point where people were like, make it work with Arduino. I, that was me. I was probably the person he was talking <laughs> about. Because uh, I was nagging him on IRC like, how come this no work with Arduinos? Why you no work? Uh, but then I nagged him enough and he helped me out enough that I figured out how to make it work and I made a thing work and that program is actually still in the node serial port repo to this day. It's the uh, LDR example. Uh, it actually requires like this crummy uh, Arduino like C++ special code that you put on you know like as a sketch just specifically for that program so it's like pretty limited but it'll read a light dependent resistor read the data directly in and pipe it into a REPL session and print it out to your console. So there was that. So I got really excited about that, and then I got really busy and didn't do anything for a very, very long time. Um, and then I discovered another project called Duino that was doing more like what I wanted to do, but that had too many limitations, and I was finding myself uh, up against far too many obstacles to continue there. And then I encountered Julian Gauthier, who is... It's an incredibly talented dude. Works at Voxer. Uh, well, he didn't at that time, but he had actually implemented uh, the communications protocol layer called Fermata. What Fermata is, is a, it's like a language agnostic communication protocol based on uh, SysX, which is system exclusive, and it's, for, it's originally for like MIDI programming. The difference between Fermata and, and MIDI, though, is it uses, it has an allowance for uh, zero to whatever max data bytes of arbitrary data in uh, seven bit bytes as its message format, whereas you're limited with MIDI to, I believe, like one or something, or like very limited in the amount of data you could send. So basically, what it does is you have a C program on the microcontroller. You just upload this one time, and all that does is it's a continuously running program that is just listening for data on the serial line, and then it just unpackages it and distributes, distributes out the information to the pins, or if there's incoming information on a pin, it packages it up and sends it back down to a client program. So the client library, which is what Julian wrote, is basically just like input and output. That's all it really does. But it's incredibly good at doing that. Uh, 
which is like, if you think about it, you have the serial port, which is incredibly good at what it does. Now I have a, a communication protocol, which is incredibly good at what it does as well. Both are super fast and both are incredibly efficient. You put these things together and you start, and like a picture begins to form. Now, if only we can make it super easy to use as well. So that's what, uh, what the goals were for Johnny Five. So you know, like fast forward to your question. Basically, to drive the navigator that you saw at, at, at NodeConf, it's uh, a series of servos. There is um, ultrasonic sensors, and they're all like working with each other by me by way of basically there is instructions being sent from Node from a program running in Node.js, right? It's just sending these sysx messages through Formata, through serial port, down the actual physical USB line to the microcontroller, which is waiting on the other end, expecting instructions. So say we send the first set of instructions is uh, pin 9 and 10. Uh, pulse those two pins at, at uh, you know, 100 degrees. That means those two pins, whatever's on them, and they're, they're pulse with modulated pins, just pulse them. So those are the servos. So now we've got a, a machine that's driving forward. So now the problem is, is it's going to run into stuff. So you put uh, you know, an ultrasonic sensor on it. I've tried a couple of different ones, and I'm definitely a huge fan of Max Botics, uh, Max Sonar series. Those are, those are clutch. They're amazing. Um, so we got to put this on this, this, this device. Now this is input, not output. So it's going to be reading information in through one of the, uh, I believe, the digital lines, right? Actually, the Max Sonar ones go through an analog line, and the ping from Parallax, which I believe is what was on the navigator at NodeConf, that's a digital line. Anyway, so it is basically sending out pulses, right, that are saying, that it shoots a pulse out into the physical world, and then it reads back the, the pulse. And what it says is, well, how long did that take? And then it sends you basically the raw, uh, like, microseconds information of how long each one took, and it just is like a fire hose because it's, this happens very, very fast. So then you take that, and from that, I can determine what is in front of the robot. So this comes back in, again, a sysx message that's got a start bit byte and a stop byte on either end, and it has a, a command byte, and then it has arbitrary data. So then it sends it back. Fermata unpackages this and sends it out to the constructed instance in a Johnny Five program that is basically has uh, right now all of the instances that are that are input instances have evented APIs. Uh, in zero point six, they'll also have stream APIs, so you'll be able to do either or. So you have uh, an instance with you know just a standard event, so it's on. Um, I don't even remember. Let's just say on read. There, every instance that has input has a read event and a change event um, that are generally named to be relevant to uh, the actual device. So, in this case, we'll just say read event, and it's basically saying uh, if this uh, inches, that's all it is. This inches. That's the current distance in inches from it to whatever's in front of it. If this inches is less than or equal to uh, 10, turn. But now that only figures 
what's directly in front of us. So I had to then figure out, all right, well, I want to look around me, so I need to kind of look back and forth. So throw another servo on the front. Now we have three servos that I'm sending information to, the same pack sets of packaged uh, you know, commands, down sysx commands that get sent, you know, again, via Fermata serial port down the line to the microcontroller, unpacked, sent out three servos are getting instructions. One is constantly going back and forth, back and forth. So the program is actually saying, telling it what degrees to be looking at. So it says, set it to 90 degrees. That would be straightforward. Now I want you to look 100 degrees. That is going to cock it to the right a little bit. And then if we break these down to 90, 91, 92, 93, so we're now looking at one degree is from zero to 180. So when we get to 180, start going backwards. So this gives us this ticking back and forth behavior. And what I could then do is say, all right, we know that our degrees are, are either to are lower than 90 or higher than 90. Awesome. So we could say higher than 90 is if we detect something while we're higher than 90, then we're going to want to turn left because higher than 90 is to our right. If we detect something lower than 90, that's on our left, so we're going to want to turn right. And then I've created like a, 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 an area in the front as well by widening that from 90 to basically looking for my, I think it's like 110 to 70. So 70 to 110, we say that's, we're, that's something is in front of us and we back up. So to recap, we're now, we have now three separate potential decisions that we're making. All of this is in the Johnny 5 program. And all of it is basically it's getting readings from the ultrasonic sensor that says, where am I looking right now? What direction is the servo uh, scanner pointing in? That is how I decide where the obstacle is in front of me and react accordingly. So that's how it was able to navigate through the, the, uh, the three-wall obstacle, or was it two walls? I think it was two-wall obstacle uh, on stage at NodeConf. Uh, now, when I did the demonstration with the compass, so remember I said uh, all input devices have events. Again, 0 0.6 is going to have streams as well. This is kind of awesome, and I'm going to bring back something Chris said about how wouldn't it be awesome if we could just say, if lights are on, do a thing. The compass demonstration that I did at NodeConf where I spun, where I picked up the robot and I just turned around in place and it was printing to uh, the REPL what bearing I was printing it. That's like a, like a 10 line program that is basically create an instance of, of a compass, compass on heading change, and then print out the, uh, the bearing information that gives us the actual like English word English language, so like north, northeast, that kind of thing. Uh, that's all that was. So basically, again, it's just we have this little piece of hardware that itself, all it knows how to do is produce a reading in a loop. So it's producing a reading in a loop. It's then sending its data to the pin that it's on, which then the microcontroller is, is packaging up in sysx messages, sending it down USB, line to serial port to Fermata, and then Johnny5 is actually doing, the, 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 the programming framework is actually doing something with that that is meaningful to you. So I wanted to make the hardware meaningful in, in programming terms to a programmer so that I could say, when the compass changes direction, do something. And so far, I think I'm doing a pretty good job of 
breaking it down in, in, in those sort of terms for API. Um, and as far as the API is concerned, everything is a, is a constructor. So if I want to initialize a program, there's a little bit of boilerplate, and I'm trying to figure out a way around this, but everything has to have a board. You construct a board, and when it's ready, you then, inside this readiness callback, you can construct uh, instance objects that, re that are uh, basically representative of an actual tangible piece of hardware or a device. So that's the board, the sensors, the servos, anything. So the board itself also constructs, uh, when it's constructed, it initializes a REPL, which gives you access to all of the devices that you're constructing as well, so that you can control them directly from, uh, from the REPL in real time. As demonstrated when I drove the navigator around on stage from the REPL, uh, it's, and it, it, because of these other layers being incredibly efficient and really, really just super fast, the, responsive, like the, the responsiveness of actually typing into the REPL, hitting enter, this is in a JavaScript program running in Node, and then controlling the direction of a robot is, I'm pretty sure, the closest thing to godliness I've ever felt in my entire life. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, one thing I definitely wanted to get into was that uh, your your API that you're constructing for this robot is actually really pretty. I mean, yeah. like you 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 come from like a jQuery kind of front end background, and and you've really taken like a great aesthetic to, to all this stuff. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Um, so I actually honestly I, I owe Chris the uh, credit there for for inspiring that, and also Cam Peterson, who who wrote Duino, because like he was onto something really good, but you know like. Like I said, at, at NodeConf, there were just a couple of obstacles, and I figured, I just thought that we could do more uh, and be more expressive with it than, than had already existed, and Chris had kind of made the challenge where it was like, make this as easy as writing jQuery code, essentially. So that, that's been like, that is constantly my motivation while I'm working on stuff like this, is I always think back to, to that as my in inspiring uh, like, mode of operation. Yeah, I mean, so so I want to talk about that for a second, and and I'm posing this to both Rick and Eli now. It's like you know, we really want to bring in more people into this into this hardware stuff, um, and and I would love for it to be as easy as writing websites. But like, what are some of the just physical challenges that you have to deal with when you're working with hardware? Um, that you know that it, some of them can be overcome and some of them can't, but are very different than like I'm just going to build a website. Um, <laughs> Eli. I think half well, of my talk at NodeConf was about <laughs> the challenges of working on hardware. Once you cross over to the physical world, um, things become a lot harder. Like There's no Control-Z. It's, it's all do it or die kind of stuff. Um, so I yep. guess you measure, you measure twice, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that, that's, that is like the, the kindest summary ever. So expect to spend money. If you're really interested in this, expect to spend money because you're going to break things and not even realize that you've broken things. You're going to fuck everything up at least one time. It's, it's incredibly hard, but you have to be patient. That would be my advice to anybody getting interested in this. Actually, Johnny Five's entire LCD API was written by Rebecca Murphy, uh, who also works with me at Boku, and... Uh, Andreas uh, Hagstrom Peterson. I, I probably 
mispronounced his name, but they actually built it together. And I was like, this is incredible. Like watching this happen, but the frustrations that the two of them were going through, I was like this, like I felt like a weird hardware kinship with them. Sort of this, like Eli and I had like a, had a, had a moment on IRC the other day where he was giving me some tips about building hardware stuff. And I was just like, wow, whatever it took him to get to the point where he can give me these tips is, and where I feel like I'm at right now. Like there is a lot of like, like frustrating moments where you literally want to wipe the table off with one swoop of your arm and throw everything across the room. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, like uh, a few years back, I was hanging out with uh, Greg Bornstein. Um, I don't know if you guys know him. Uh, he he's in New York now. Um, he's at uh, he's where Clay Shirky is. Uh, that school, it's like part of Tisch School of the Arts, but basically they do like all kinds of interactive art and things like that. And yeah. so he works with hardware a lot. And he said, and you know, before that, he had had a startup actually with with Jay Chris Anderson from CouchDB. And he was like the the thing that you don't get when you go from software to hardware is that the act of using it and debugging it actually degrades it over time and makes it right. less reliable, which is something that doesn't happen uh, in software. So uh, I'll give you an, like a personal example of that uh, proof is in the pudding sort of situation. When I was writing the Servo API, um, I learned a very hard lesson about power and power consumption. And that, like, I thought that, you know, I'm, I'm only running it for 15 seconds at a time as I'm debugging this program and running it, like, just checking to make sure that, like, when I set the number of degrees that it actually moves to that. So I've got it connected to a 9-volt battery. A 9-volt battery from Energizer is probably going to last me a really long time. I'm an idiot. Basically, that is not true. And now I, I, I swear by just plugging into the wall during development because they're, like, I, I would literally get to the point where I thought the API was failing. I'm like, why isn't, why isn't the servo moving? Well, the code is, wor works fine. It was working fine 10 minutes ago. I had literally just killed the battery in like 10 minutes of turning on and off, on and off, on and off, and trying to power an actual motor that is powering gears. It's moving something else. The lesson is I was degrading my own hardware over time just by debugging it. So... That right there was like, like, this was, I'm talking like an entire day's worth of anger and frustration. Uh, and I'm sure Eli can share more war stories as well. Oh yeah, there's, there's plenty of horror stories. And like you just said, um, it does take a lot of time. I mean, there's the learning aspect, and then the debugging takes probably twice as long as it does with programming. I mean, it's just a lot slower of a turnaround. Um, I have a similar story. Uh, when I was... Working on the Tempad, um, I found these driver chips, um, these LED driver chips, and they're just really small, and all of the pads are tucked underneath them. And so when you go to put them on the board, um, sometimes they don't, they don't land correctly, like all of the pads aren't um, actually hitting the traces on the board. And so you have to go back through and reheat it. And so over time, like the board just it gets burnt and then it burns some more and then it burns some more and then like the, the traces will fall off and you're like, oh, well, that board's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. Uh, you don't have a console like you do in the browser. You summarize it that way. I can't expand an object with the mouse and inspect it and see if my properties are correctly. Like I, I got a, a, a 20 by 4 LCD 
uh, earlier this week. I, I, you know, I soldered it all together, put its, you know, the, the, the header pins on it, had it plugged in, wired up. And I was so stoked because Rebecca and, and Andreas's code worked perfectly the first time. Well, not necessarily. That's a little bit of a lie. I had made a stupid mistake that prevented it from working. But when I undid that stupid mistake, it worked perfectly. So technically, it worked perfectly from the get-go. Anyway, when I went to go pull the – when I was like disassembling all of the stuff to pack it up yesterday – no, uh, Friday at, at the end of the work, cause, work day because I wanted to bring it all home from the Boku office so that I could play at home. I was pulling the, the pins off uh, – like pulling the pins out of uh, this – you know, solderless breadboard that I use for, you know, prototyping. And I didn't even notice that one of my soldering joints had just broken. I didn't actually notice. And I put everything away. And it wasn't until like late Friday night or something like that that I was like going through stuff. And I was like, what? this one pin is missing from, from the LCD. Like, where could it be? It was still in the solderless breadboard. But it's so small that you don't really notice. Like, this is just for me plugging it in once and pulling it out another time. Like, yeah, it was a crappy solder, but like, it wasn't crappy when I first plugged it in, but it was crappy enough to break when I pulled it out. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> imagine if I hadn't noticed that and then I tried to go plug it back in elsewhere, the amount of time spent potentially debugging this missing pin. Oh, right. You know, and like hopefully, it didn't, hopefully it doesn't <laughs> yeah, exactly. blow up, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, I. Uh, last week, I, I burnt out the entire right side of an LCD screen because I had wired uh, the, the ends of it are ground lines. And the second pins in are, are power lines. I actually had those flipped around and burnt out an entire 50% of the LCD screen, which is, you know, like probably like $15 worth of LCD screen, totally destroyed, <laughs> not usable anymore, had to buy a new one. You got to stay positive, though. You got to say, yeah, yeah. "Whoops!" You know, like you can't get too angry at it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Which is, and because I broke that, I just went on Amazon, and I'm Amazon Prime, and I had a new one like two days later. So, uh, Man, I'm actually going to check out that right. Alibaba and get those awesome parts that Chris was talking about. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, the gamble parts. This is a really good point, actually. Like. Um, because you can get bulk order discounts, like if you're going to order a part that you need and say you need one of them now, how many would you say that you should just buy right off the bat? <laughs> um, oh, that's a tough one. Buy anything less than 10. So don't I think buy it depends on how expensive it is. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, like, well, yeah, that's what I'm thinking because like you don't want to buy 10 accelerometers because that's like $300. <laughs> Look on Alibaba. It's a lot cheaper than that. Okay, okay. So fair <laughs> enough. But Roll the fear, dice. so Alibaba is for like dudes like Chris that that have experience, but for people that are like just getting involved, you know, the hobbyist sort, like that might be a little bit tough if it doesn't come like with pin headers already attached to it with labels on them. You know what I mean? Like if it's just a, a chip that you kind of have to guess what's going on with it. The labels so, be Chinese though, that'll make it a little <laughs> Oh my god, everything I order from DF Robot comes from Hong Kong. It takes a variable amount of time delivering. And sometimes they're like, they say to I get emails that say, your billing and shipping address don't match. We can't send this to you. And I say to myself, why do you offer a different billing and shipping address? Oh, by the way, this didn't affect my last order. And all of the information is always in Chinese. It's hilariously awesome. 
So I do want to go back to what you guys were talking about with the uh, the upside. You gave all the horror stories, but I have to share one of the positive sides. Is and I'm sure both of you will agree with me. Uh, there is a beauty in the the discrete actions that I did this and it created that. Uh, Rick, you just absolutely closest to godliness that you'll ever get um, or have ever gotten. I don't know about ever will ever get, but anyways, um, I I. I think that's something that's intrinsically beautiful about it is that there is this real world aspect. And I almost hate talking to strictly only software programmers because they, they miss the real world. They miss that there's all these things going on around them for the favor of, you know, yes, I can whip up a jQuery website in two seconds, but what is that doing? Whereas, yeah, it may take me three servos to get a robot moving, but I haven't made a robot, goddammit. So... In the spirit of Chris keeping it positive, I'll tell you about how I proposed to my now fiance. That's that uh, a very story. So do that. So the the navigator robot that I built for NodeConf, uh, it, after I got back from NodeConf, it got an upgrade. Um, I added these. I had ordered a, a set of clamps uh, that are servo powered that my, that I sort of rigged to the front. It wasn't quite a fit, but I made it work. Uh, and meanwhile, I, I had been working for about two months on having a ring made for Rose. Um, my mom's a jeweler and we had a family uh, craftsman helped us. Like Basically, I said, this is what I want to look like and they made it happen. It was pretty incredible. So meanwhile, that's happening. And I'm also building this robot that, I'm, that my plan is to propose to Rose with the robot. Because, you know, whenever I'm like, working on projects, I, I, I'm always like, hey, Rose, come check this out. And she's, she's so cool. Like, she had, you know, admittedly will say, like, I'm not really sure what you mean by all of this, but she's an amazingly good sport about, you know, like supporting everything that I do. And I, I'm actually pretty sure that she does get most of what I'm saying, you know, after I repeat it enough times. So let's get to the technical goodness of this. Uh, I actually extended the navigator robot with a proto method called propose so when i created the the new instance of navigator which gets uh accepts an object that has uh three servo addresses uh and and a couple of other things and basically what it does is it the navigator object itself does the normalization between the left and the right driving servos and i had added a third for uh, uh panning and scanning uh for the directional thing. So remember, there's also a compass on this thing. So the day of, I, I wrote the function propose, which is a little bit of an overloaded function, I'll be perfectly honest. It's not the kind of uh, production level JavaScript abstraction that I would generally recommend. But for my purposes, I needed to be able to type, uh, you know, bot.propose into the command line while showing Rose's thing and just have it friggin' work. So what I did was I determined that my living room door. Uh, was as at, pointed exactly north to where in my living room I have this, like I was working on like this little uh, like whiteboard table thing that I made, right? So I that's where I was going to set it up because otherwise there would be no way for me to lure Rose away from whatever to like some secret workshop. So I figured the door to the living room is north, and I, what I want to do is I want to have the thing, the robot facing away from her, and. I'm going to say, hey, come and check this out, and then I'm going to type in, you know, dot propose, and it's, what I want to do is turn, start turning, but I want it to continue turning 
until it's facing the door. Now, I could have done a timer on that, but then again, how do I know? Like, I couldn't be entirely certain I would know that it was facing exactly uh, in the opposite direction as you know, this amount of time was required for the turn. So what I did was I used the compasses on heading change events. So I just did compass dot on, you know, and the event is heading change. And then as soon as uh, this bearing uh, is north, stop. Stop all the servos, drive forward, and then pull the, 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 the grippers, pull them back and upward. And the grippers were holding the ring box. So when she came in, I'm showing it to her, and it's pointing the other way. And if you guys remember, it has a laser on the end of it. She's like, oh, cool, it's got a laser, and it's pointing around and, and whatnot. And, and then I typed in bot.propose into the REPL session, hit enter. It turned around, of course, stopped when it was facing north, which was exactly where she was standing at the entry of the living room, drove across the workbench to her, lifted up the ring, and then stopped. And at that point, I was then sitting next to it uh, on my knee, and I asked her to marry me. And then she responded in a robot voice. She said, yes, I will marry you, which was to me <laughs> the only answer anybody part. needed. <laughs> Best possible answer ever. So, so that's that. If you want to know what the good parts are, that's the good parts. Saying like, I, I wrote some JavaScript code that controlled a robot and I proposed to my girlfriend. Uh, that that that's one of the good things that you can look forward to with hardware. Yeah. Again, it's probably I, I can't top that. Oh come on, you you've got good stories. No, I, I can't top that one. That one's great, man. I feel uh, like I mean I feel like Eli's adventures are are comparable to like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Just like <laughs> ups and downs yeah. battles that you've you've been through to make all of this stuff work that you make work. Yeah, I mean, I do have this weird relationship with my CNC machine. Um, you know, like when I when I go away, I'm traveling and whatever. Um, I like miss it. You know, I'm like oh, I can't <laughs> cut wood right now, or you know, it's weird. Uh, dude, so I ever since NodeConf, uh, I bring like a, a a little mini kit of stuff with me on trips now. It's a pain in the ass, but it's so much fun to at hotels to be able to just plug in and make some things happen. Like I get a quick fix in the evening. You guys are right. addicted. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 awesome though. That's I mean, when you create something real, yeah, right. When you create something real, it's 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 beauty. It's beautiful. Absolutely. Like it's awesome. super simple thing, but like I get a kick out of plugging in. Uh, I have a slide potentiometer, so it, like. Think uh, on like a mixing board console, you know, they've got like the, okay, right. the sliders, right. you know, for volume up, volume down, whatever. Uh, so I have one of those and sometimes like I bring that with me in my little travel kit now because like it's cool to just plug it in and just kind of slide it back and forth and it just prints out like a scaled value to the console and I just sit and I think to myself what this could possibly actually be doing. Like I could be raising and lowering like some robotic arm on like you know uh an assembly line or it could be moving uh, a rocket into place to launch a rocket because one day i'm going to launch rockets with javascript because why not like you know why the hell not goodbye boston 
<laughs> well, I don't mean weapon rockets. I mean, oh, we're going to launch friendly rockets that are filled with puppy dogs and rainbows and unicorns. If you do a rocket with puppy dog, I'm pretty sure the puppy dog doesn't. You got to get your calculus down so that way the arc hits correctly. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not puppy dogs that come down. It's mommy. <laughs> oh, oh, ouch! <laughs> and with with that, uh, I think we're gonna wrap up now. Uh, we got to run through a whole lot of conferences, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do it as quick as I can uh, to get all these out of the way. So, um, oh, oh, uh, yeah. We'll we'll we also have another announcement at the very end. So, uh, NodeConf Summer Camp is September fourth through sixth. Tickets are closed, uh, but if you're going, uh, all the details that you need to do to get on the shuttles is at nodeconf.com. Uh, who.js uh, it's in September 12th through 14th in Shanghai uh, no website up yet but there should be one up shortly and then we'll have more details for you uh, LXJS uh, September 28th through 29th in Lisbon, Portugal uh, there are a couple tickets left that come with uh, what the um, sorry the doc just got messed up uh, so, the, so LisbonJS, there are a couple tickets left uh, with, that come with tutorials. Um, so there's no tickets left just only for the conference. You've got to go to the conference and the tutorials. But uh, there's a testing tutorial by Adam Christian. There's a, a Node.js training by uh, me and, and Dishaw. Uh, also, it has one of the best lineups this year at conferences. So Jan Lernhardt, Guillermo, Fedor, Brian LaRue, Max Ogden, me, Charlie Robbins, Dishaw, Machi, Malecki. Uh, who's really not at a, speaking a lot of conferences here and who's really amazing. Owen Barnes, Paolo Fregamini, Carolina from Nojitsu, J. Chris Anderson, Nikolai, Felix, Burt Belder, uh, Volker Misch, he wrote the uh, CouchDB Archery implementation for geocoding. Amazing stuff. And uh, Adam Christian from Soft Labs. JSConf.eu is October, 20, it's October 6th through 7th in Berlin, Germany. Uh, that is currently sold out, but there is a rough schedule up. Uh, so if you're attending, make sure to check out the schedule and show up maybe a few days early. There's usually uh, a few events before that, so there's going to be a reject JS and some other stuff. So stay tuned for more announcements about that. Uh, no Dublin is October 16th through 17th in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, Isaac, Felix, and myself will be speaking. More speakers should be announced soon. Uh, the organizer just got a hold of me and said that tickets will go, tickets will go on sale this week. Uh, and also this week there will be more speakers and a list of all the other event details are going to go up. RedisCom, October 22nd in Portland, Oregon. Uh, you can go to redistalkcomp.com. Tickets are on sale now. Uh, they're being sold through Tito, so that's awesome. Uh, you can check them out at redistalkcomp.com. Uh, Salvatore Sanfilippo, the creator of Redis, and Peter Nordhuis, uh, who's one of the main contributors, along with Matt Ranney and Nathan Fitz, will be speaking. Keeping it real time, October 23rd through 24th in Portland, Oregon, uh, run by the same Anyet guys who are doing RedisConf, and it's going to kind of slot in right after RedisConf. Tickets are on sale now at 2012.krtconf.com. Substack, Henrik Horteg, Amber Case, Guillermo, Dishaw, me, Owen Barnes, and Ward Cunningham, the creator of the wiki, will be speaking. JSConf.com.au uh, in Australia. No, no dates yet, but it will be in November. Um, jsconf.com.au you can sign up there to submit proposals to speak or to subscribe to their list for tickets when they go on sale uh, and uh, NodeFest Japan uh, November 18th in Tokyo, Japan uh, tickets are not up yet but uh, myself, Isaac, uh, Substack and Charlie Robbins will be speaking also, special announcement uh, 
Thai JS will be in late February 2013 in Thailand. And this is a really interesting event. This is not a, a conference per se. It's what, what, what's being billed as a working retreat. So it's a week long, and you'll have plenty of time each day to work and uh, to do co-working style. Uh, you, can, you, can, you, know, you can debug all your code with some of the people around that maybe wrote that module. Uh, in addition to that, uh, you'll be sort of moving around Thailand that whole week, uh, seeing all the sites, getting massages, checking out the beaches. So it's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, stay tuned for more details on that. Uh, and the website should be going up soon as well. And that's all that we got for conferences right now. If you want to know more about uh, conferences that are you know, first getting announced and uh, setting out, like, you know, call for speakers and, and ticket sales and stuff like that, you should go to confnotice.com uh, and sign up for that list there that Chris maintains. And that's about it. Now, we're, now it's time for plugs, you guys. Oh, oh, and, and one, one thing I forgot that's uh, very important. Uh, if you want to know more about robots, you want to play around with robots, and you want uh, some debugging for JavaScript robots, uh, Chris just created a channel on Freenode called Pound Robot JS. So check that out. Yeah, something I'm going to try to keep alive. Uh, basically, I mean, I know it was suggested in the NodeUp channel on IRC, uh, but it, think of it like a support group for people who are trying out hardware. Doesn't necessarily have just JavaScript implementations. If you're writing Python or Ruby or C level robots, there there is no uh, negative against that. It's only positive in love as long as you're making robots or something semi-robotic. Uh, any hardware play is all awesome. So I'm yeah. I'm, I'm always idling in in uh, robot JS. So I think all three of us are, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ping me if you have questions. We're just trying to center point, so that way if you do have the issues or you want to just yell at somebody for having a solder pin drop in, um, there for you. Nice. It's also a support group for people that are, you know, dealing with wanting to yell at all of their hardware. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, time for some plugs. Uh, my app is, is up and live now for new Android and iPhone OSs, uh, HTTPS colon whack gather dot app. Gather.8. Cool. Uh, um, So in spring, if you want to do a crazy semester off or um, next summer, we're going to be redoing the uh, summer of Node. Um, it was a great success. Uh, we've actually had uh, a couple of the the interns that were here in the summer of Node program uh, sign and join Voxer, Kit Cambridge and uh, DJ Gardner are now Voxers. I don't know what the fuck we call ourselves. Um, Voxer employees. Um, and they are amazing developers, uh, super talented, and uh, we're super happy to have them on board. Um, if you're interested in participating, um, hit me up, uh, Dishaw at Voxer, and uh, be sure to include your GitHub account in that. Uh, I guess I'm next, Chris Williams. Uh, I'm going to plug the company that I co-founded and, and run in, in my normal day job. It's called Safer Aging. Uh, notice the, the, the spacing there between the uh, R and the A. Uh, Michael loves to call it Safe Raging, which I don't know what that's about, but that may be... He's not the only one. Yeah, a lot of people do. Uh, <laughs> we do uh, a monitoring system, as I sort of mentioned earlier, a monitoring system for senior citizens to try to try to basically replace independent living, assisted living, and nursing home living um, with a 
technological solution that's highly affordable, so less than the price of a cell phone. So that way, senior citizens can live longer and independently in their home. And when they have an issue like a fall or a heart attack or a seizure, um, they can get support by way of you know the technological safety net, as we like to call it, that we've built out for them. Uh, we actually won. I don't talk too much about it, so I'm going to brag a bit. Uh, we were we won uh, at Node Summit this year. The best use of Node.js. Um, we're a pretty cool little company. We're based out of Reston, Virginia, and always looking for people who want to do hardware stuff. So, if you if you hear this and are jazzed and you live in the DC area, um, shoot me at, at email or a phone call or come out and have a beer JS with us. Um, we love to hang out and chat. Rick, that oh my turn. I have a French bulldog on my lap right now. And he would like me to tell you the following. I want to just uh, plug Julian Gauthier's project, Fermata. Again, he also works with uh, D. Shaw over at Foxer. Cool guy. uh, Julian's a badass. Yeah, he's so cool. Uh, I met him for the first time ever at NodeConf, and he's just like the the nicest dude ever. And without without his hard work, Johnny Five just actually wouldn't even exist. Uh, Which brings me to Johnny Five, the framework... Uh, programming library, whatever you want to call it, for controlling robots and robot-like things with JavaScript on Node.js. And Boku, the company that I work at and uh, am a huge fan of as well, and is the one that afforded me the, the, the time and space to build all of these things as well. So check us out, boku.com. We are... Uh, Huge, huge fans of the open source community and movement and do everything in our possible power to uh, contribute as much reasonable time, energy, and effort into doing so. So check us out. Eli? Oh, I guess that's me now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to plug Nojitsu. Um, they have allowed me to um, continue my spelunking down these rabbit holes of hardware. Um, and if you need Node hosting... Um, you should go there. Um, I also want to plug um, two of my projects on GitHub, uh, TPAD and TPAD Firmware, which you can find on GitHub slash tempbar slash TPAD and TPAD Firmware. Um, basically, I want to make the TPAD completely open source. Um, and more on that later. I mean, if you really want one, you can contact me and I'll arrange something. Yeah, that, that library is super useful for the three people that have one right now, which, which I'm including myself in. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll send money. <laughs> awesome. So this was a great episode. I uh, really liked, loved having you guys on. Very inspiring work on, on hardware and robots and stuff. Uh, if you want to help out the show, you can leave a review on iTunes. Uh, that's a really great way to promote the show and, and get it up there in the ratings. Uh, and you can also follow at NodeUp on Twitter, and then you'll know when we're going to be live and when the next show is, which uh, should be every Sunday at noon, uh, probably a little bit afternoon. We, we tend to be just a tiny bit late. Uh, and that's it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.